Yes, you heard correctly. My name is also a sentence. Don't come up with your Greg Fell jokes afterwards. I'm old. I've heard every one of them, I'm pretty sure. You've got a long way to fall, too. Yeah, I really do. <laughs> yeah, Rimrock, you're part of an association of 80 churches in what's called the Rocky Mountain District, and I'm just kind of the pastor to the pastors and trainer and equipper in support of the leaders. And um, you, you support the district. I want to say thank you for that because what you're doing is church planting across the district. We have 11 church plants going on right now. You help churches that are looking for pastors. You help churches that are in conflict. Those are the ones in Colorado. We don't have conflict up here in South Dakota. But um, yeah, you're part of this association and I'm privileged to be here. And I want to thank Pastor Ben for inviting me. Open our Father's Word, if you would, to 1 Corinthians 15 this morning, and as you're doing that, I would proclaim to you that He has risen. risen Yeah, that was really weak, folks. (laughs) You're all thinking, that was so two weeks ago, right? We're supposed to say He's risen indeed on Sunday morning, but have you ever questioned it on, like, Tuesday afternoon? Have you ever had your doubts? It's normal, you know. I have a friend whom I will call Bob because his name is Bob. (laughs) Just seems right. And Bob, like myself, is he comes from Jewish, he's a full-blooded Jew. I'm a Samaritan, I'm a half-Jew. And for the past 10 years, Bob has been trying to win me back to Judaism. And I have been trying to win him to Christ. And for the past two decades, or past decade, both of us have been equally unsuccessful in our task. One of the things Bob says to me is, regarding Jesus, well, we don't know if He even really existed. And I think, well, that's very convenient. If you don't want to believe in something, just dismiss it as truth, right? So we've been having that discussion, but even the harder discussion is that whole resurrection story thing. I mean, it's kind of odd, don't you think? A guy dies, he's buried, and then three days later, he, he, he raises from the dead. And, and even I, as a follower of Christ, have some questions about the resurrection. We say as believers that we're all going to be resurrected. We're going to have resurrected bodies, right? Well, my question is, Lord, which body do I get? Am I stuck with the old version, or do I get the younger one? And I'd like a shorter nose. If you can, you know, arrange that, that'd be great. Kind of miss hair, that was fun, you know. What do you say to my friend Bob? How, how do you argue for the historicity of Jesus and more importantly, his resurrection? And by the way, you can't use Scripture. Because Bob, like many in our culture who are outside of Christianity, don't even believe that Uh, the New Testament is an inspired document from God. So regarding the historicity of Jesus, did Jesus really exist? We really have to go to the historians. We can't go to Holy Scripture. And, And I do that with Bob. For instance, Flavius Josephus, who was perhaps the most renowned Jewish first century Christian, or non Christian, who was also a historian, writes in his extreme work, very thick work called Antiquities, he talks about Jesus of Nazareth. And I say, Bob, this is one of your guys. 
He doesn't believe Jesus is the Messiah, but he at least talks about the historicity of Jesus. Uh, the first century Roman historian, Publius Tacitus, he also not only writes about the fact that Jesus existed, but he talks about Pontius Pilate. He writes about the crucifixion. He doesn't believe in, the, in Christ as the Messiah, but he gives credence to the fact that, yes, Jesus did exist. Those are the ancients. The modern historians, who are also not believers, will at least give credence to the historicity of Jesus. For instance, Bart Ehrman, who's a secular agnostic, that means he doesn't even believe God exists, writes regarding Jesus, he certainly existed as virtually every competent scholar of antiquity Christian or non-Christian agrees. Or Michael Grant, who is a classicist. Michael Grant says, in recent years, no serious scholar has ventured to postulate the non-historicity of Jesus, or at any rate, very few. And they've not succeeded in disposing of the much stronger, indeed very abundant evidence to the contrary. What is really at issue is not, did Jesus really exist? If you've ever had doubt about that, you can place that aside. Historians, non-Christian, both ancient and modern, give credence to this. What is at issue is the resurrection. The place that I've asked you to open in our Father's Word is a letter that was written by a guy named Paul, an apostle, follower of Jesus. He writes this to the Christians in a place called Corinth, some 30 years following the death and resurrection of Jesus. And even among the Christians in Corinth, there was question regarding the resurrection, which had just taken place three decades earlier. Paul writes in verse 16, if the dead aren't raised, then even Jesus hasn't been raised. And if Christ hasn't been raised, your faith is futile. You're, you're still in your sins. And those who've fallen asleep in Christ, those who've died already, have perished. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, he says, we are of all people most to be pitied. Why is Paul having to make an argument for the reality of the resurrection to Christians just three decades after the resurrection occurred? Because... Culture tends to inform our theology rather than truth informing our behavior and belief. That is, that is true regardless of the time, the history, the nation. We let culture persuade us as to what is real and what is not. So let's look at the culture of those in Corinth during this particular time when this was written. There were basically two groups who questioned the resurrection, the Jews and the Greeks. Greeks also called the Hellenists. Now, both the Jews and the Greeks believed in the supernatural. That wasn't the issue. The issue was what culture said regarding the resurrection. The Greeks were basically influenced by three philosophers. The first philosopher was Homer. Homer says that when we die, the body ceases to exist, and the spirit goes on living as a disembodied, witless spirit that 
wanders about aimlessly for the rest of eternity in a place called Hades. And if you're paying attention, that's bad news. Now, there's another philosopher named Plato. Plato follows the thinking of Homer in that he says, there's, when the body dies, that's it. The spirit goes on living in a place called Hades, but Plato says it's not a bad place, it's a good place. Because our spirit gets to go on for the rest of eternity discussing with one another philosophy. Yeah, and some of you laughed at that, except for the two philosophers in the room. There's a reason you have no friends. I mean, who wants to spend eternity doing that? Then there's a third philosopher, Epicurus. Epicurus says, not only does the body die, but the spirit dies. This life is all we have. So live life to its fullest, get the most out of it that you can, because when you're dead, you're gone. Eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we shall die. That is a doctrine or a belief or a philosophy called annihilationism. And by the way, annihilationism is a popular philosophical thought in America today. This is all we've got. Live it up. When you're dead, you're gone. The Greeks thought, why would you want a resurrected body? I mean, you know, the body, it has aches, it has pains, it has flaws. Why would you want to carry that around for the rest of eternity? Now, the Jews, they had a little different belief on this. The Jewish people did believe in a resurrected body, all except for one sect or denomination of the Jews called the Sadducees. They do not believe in the resurrected body. But for the rest of the Jews, their thinking is this. We're created in the image of God. Genesis says that. And if he's created the body, in his, then it's a good thing, and it's worth preserving, and therefore it's worth resurrecting. But the Jewish belief is we will all be resurrected together at the end of time. The problem they had with Christ's resurrection was <laughs> he did it at the wrong time. He did it in the middle of history instead of the end of history, and he did it by himself, kind of selfish, don't you think? So, this is the problem that was affecting the thinking of the culture of the Christians in Corinth. If you doubt, you're in good company. Paul writes in verse 12 of this passage I ask you to turn to, if Christ has preached that he's been raised from the dead, how do some among you say, there's no resurrection of the dead. That's what they were saying. In fact, even those who followed Christ had some doubt and question. Let me paint the picture for you at the time when Christ was crucified, buried, and then rose again. In that culture, it was the role of the Jewish female to prepare the body for burial. And by the way, for an Orthodox Jew to even touch a dead body, that's unorthodox. That makes you unclean. You have to go through ritual. So it was the role of the female to do spices and ointments and prepare the body for burial. It was a very long process. It took hours, half a day, 
It was also the tradition, as it is today among Orthodox Jews, that there is a period of time during the week called Shabbat or Sabbath. And during Shabbat, you are to do no work, no labor, you don't leave your house. It is a time for just worshiping God. You can't even check Facebook. Some of you are still with me. They didn't have Facebook back then. Here's the problem. Jesus was crucified on Friday afternoon. Shabbat begins at sundown Friday. So what are we going to do? We don't have time to prepare the body. They take the body. They place it in a tomb. They roll a stone over the tomb. They say, we will come back at daylight following Shabbat and we will prepare the body. That's exactly what the women did. Did they believe in the resurrection? Apparently not. Jesus had taught, it's very clear, that he taught his disciples, and they had heard this, that the Son of Man must suffer many things, and he would be crucified, and he would be buried, and on the third day he would rise. But they go to the tomb expecting a body to be there. Well, they show up, and the stone is rolled away from the tomb, and they go, wait a minute, that's not right. And they put their head in the tomb, and the body is gone. But they see two men dressed in white sitting there, and they say, well, where is he? What have you done with the body? And they say, well, he's not here. He's, he's risen, just as he said. Why do you seek the living among the dead? They finally believe. They go back to where the disciples have been hiding. The disciples at the crucifixion of Christ, those who had followed him, realize we're in trouble because they went after him. We've been following him. They're probably coming after us next. So they hide. The women know who they, where they are. And they go back into the room where the disciples are, and they say to the disciples, he's not there. He's risen. And they do not say he has risen indeed. They kind of look at the women and go, You've been hanging out in Colorado smoking the product, haven't you? Okay, that's a marginal reading. But they don't, they don't believe. Later in that passage in Luke chapter 24, the resurrected Christ appears to two men who are walking from Jerusalem, just following the event of his crucifixion. And they're walking from Jerusalem to Emmaus. I love the way Scripture identifies them. It is Cleopas and the other guy. <laughs> How would you like to be mentioned in Scripture as a footnote? I'm the other guy, you know. Anyway, they're talking about this event. Jesus joins them. They don't recognize him as the resurrected Jesus. And he says, what are you all talking about? And they say, you're not from around here, have you? Are you? I mean, have you not heard everything that's taken place? And they explain to him everything that he knows. And then he starts for the rest of the afternoon on the walk to Emmaus explaining all that the Old Testament prophets had said regarding the Messiah. They get to Emmaus, it's dinner time, they go in to sit down and eat, Jesus is going to continue on. They say, hey, why don't you join us for dinner? And as Jesus sits down and breaks the bread after having explained to them from the prophets, they go, you're him, aren't you? Huh. Or how about that guy named Thomas. We call Thomas, Thomas the, it's been two millennia and you still won't let it go. 
How would you like to be known in your life for one sentence that comes out of your mouth? I love God's timing and I love his sense of humor. We don't know where Thomas was when the women come back and tell the disciples, clearly wasn't in the room. He comes back sometime later. And they all say, because Peter has now run to see and comes back and reports what the women had also experienced. They say, he's risen, and Thomas does not say he is risen indeed. In fact, Thomas says, unless I touch the nail prints in his hands and his feet, I will not believe. And then, only then does Jesus enter the room. And I can just picture him putting his arm around Thomas. I would have loved to have gotten a selfie with him at this point, you know. Thomas, really? Unless you touch and feel and see, you won't believe? How blessed are those who have not seen and believed. The issue for us in America today regarding believing in the resurrection is Western thinking. We are rationalists, we are scientific, we are empiricists. We have to measure and touch and feel. And if we can't do that, it's hard for us to believe in the supernatural. In fact, if I were to ask you the question, if you take all of the Christians around the entire globe and you were to map the current statistical geographical center of Christianity based upon all who confess around the globe, where do you think the current statistical geographical center of Christianity is? Many of you would say the North American continent. You would be wrong. It is in a place called Timbuktu. It's in Mali, Africa. If I were to ask you which continent has the most per capita believing followers of Christ, many of you would say the North American continent. Again, you would be wrong. The South American continent has twice as many profession believers as the North American continent. In fact, the southern hemisphere of the globe on which you live, where they both believe in and even experience the supernatural on a daily basis, has a greater percentage of believers. So what evidence do we have of the resurrection? Uh, many came up to me after the first service and talked about Josh McDowell, so I, I take it you are a community that knows the work of Josh McDowell. There are so many evidences of the resurrection. I'm going to share with you three that I've also shared with Bob. The first evidence of the resurrection is the belief of the doubters. I mean, if you're in a conversation with somebody and you believe something to be fact and they disbelieve it, but you can convince them that it is true, that's pretty compelling, is it not? In fact, Paul uses that argument. He talks about what the Christians in Corinth already knew to be fact and true in verse 5. He says, think about it. The resurrected Jesus appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are alive, some have fallen asleep, that is, that they've died. Then he appeared to James and then to all the apostles, and last of all, he says, as to one untimely born. In fact, 
Uh, he appeared to me. I'm the least of the apostles. I'm not even worthy to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church. Even Paul, who was militant against these who, to whom Christ had appeared, he appeared to Paul too, and Paul also believed. That's pretty compelling. My friend Bob would say, well, that's just mass delusion. Okay, let's go with that. I mean, it happens. You know, with it, when, when big world events occur, uh, there does tend to be uh, masses of people that, you know, get into their own little thought process. So my question is, what do crazy people do? Crazy people tend to isolate themselves. They tend to withdraw from society. And when they are approached, they attack. The second evidence of the resurrection was the transformation of this culture of those to whom Christ appeared. They did just the opposite of what crazy people did. Instead of running from culture and society, they ran into it. In fact, they did what culture itself would not do. They were so transformed by the belief that they had an eternal hope because Christ is not dead, he's alive, and therefore we have that hope also, that they ran into society. And they took care of the orphans and the widows. They took care of the elderly and the poor. They put their lives on hold. They gave up everything they had. They were persecuted, and that was okay. Their money and their possessions no longer was what was important to them. What was important was he's alive. And because he's alive, you can be alive too. And they put their very lives on the line for that. Uh, don't have time this morning, but look up Hebrews 10, 32 to 34. It, it gives evidence to all that they went through as well. But the third and more compelling evidence for the resurrection to me is the uniqueness of the message. Think about all of the prophets, all of the religions that we've experienced through time. What does every faith say you must do if you want to have any hope regarding life after death here? What must you do if you want to have any hope to get into that life? Good works. You got it. Live the right life. Be righteous. I mean, I asked you, you told me. That's exactly what every religion says, except Christianity. It turns it on its head. Christianity is the only one whose prophet, Jesus, comes and says, good works ain't going to do it for you. you. You can't be good enough. It's the only one where we are reconciled to God because he comes to us, not we go to him. And it is he who stands in our place. It is the only faith that says, you can live because I have victory over death, and I give that to you as well. Well, so, so what? Well, well that, that changes everything. See, 
The intellectual Christian or the cultural Christian is one who is kind of like the disciples and the women. Well, they heard the teachings of Jesus, but they, did, they only heard it with their head. They didn't hear it with their heart. They didn't really believe that Christ was going to rise from the dead until they experienced it and saw it. So it didn't transform their lives. It only reformed them. They, well, we'll, we'll live a better life. We'll, we'll do better. And, and that's where a lot of Christians in America live today. The truly transformed Christian is the one who says, yes, he has risen. And because of that, I have a different value system for my money, for my possessions, for how I spend my time, for how I invest my life. It changes my priorities. It changes my investment in life. Every human being has this thing called fear. Every human being goes through life living the idea of what if? What if I lose my finances? What if I get cancer? It's Mother's Day. What if my teenager runs off and disappears and I have no idea where he or she is? What if my spouse dies. If you believe in the resurrection, those are all bad things, but the one who believes in the resurrection lives in the even if, not the what if. Even if my finances fail. And by the way, that happened to Carol and me not once, but twice, because we are slow learners. You know, we got caught in the downturn of the 2000, 2001.com thing. And then we got caught in 2008 when the market turned again. What if my teenage daughter at the age of 15 disappears, runs away from home, and is gone? And I don't know where she is. By the way, that happened to Carol and me. But we don't live in the what if, we live in the even if. We have a God that can conquer that. Even if my spouse leaves me, and by, well, okay, she's not done that yet. I think she's thinking about it, but I'm not sure. Here's how Paul says it, verse 3. I delivered to you of first importance that which I also received. Christ died in accordance with the Scriptures. He was buried, and on the third day, he rose according to the Scriptures. Do you believe that? Not just with your head. Do you believe it here? Because if you do, that's going to transform how you think about life. You're not going to live in the what if, you're going to live in the even if. Yeah, bad stuff happens, but my hope isn't in my possessions. It's not in my finances. It's not in, it's in the resurrected Jesus. If you really believe that, and only if you really believe that, I'm going to ask you to stand and read with me uh, a few of the verses in this passage. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who've fallen asleep. For as by a man came death, 
by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. He is risen. You said that with a little bit more conviction than earlier. Sing with me the Apostles' Creed. 